If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Unfortunately, I have returned to Canada. The Rock has come back! <laughs> uh, that, that gives me deja vu. The, like, Finally! childhood. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry you had to come back. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, things are they're looking to be different. I I won't be the only one not wearing a mask. Let's put it that way. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. It's it's March first, and uh, they lifted the well, I think the vaccine, uh, vaccine passports. passports. Well, well, uh, well, for for restaurants, gyms, well, essentially, theaters. it's no longer mandatory now. Com- companies can elect to segregate voluntarily. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty interesting, and um, I, I agree. I agree with Doug Ford. Doug Ford's my guy, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, I really hope you're joking. Just, well, it's, no, it's well, so funny. Like when you catch him talking sort of off the cuff, you're like, okay, I kind of agree with this guy. Yeah, and then yeah, you're like, yeah. No. But but he does things with his policies. Like I'm assuming you're yeah. referring to the clip where he's like. You know, we got to learn to live with this. Clearly, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the prime minister's got three shots and he got COVID. I know hundreds of people who got all three and got COVID. And then, and then, and then, and then he was talking about the free market correcting itself. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, yo, I, I was said, like, I said, who is this guy? I, yo, who is this guy? What have you done with the real Doug Ford, man? <laughs> and and it, it's funny because I said, you know what? I low key like this guy um, in the sense that, um, you know he's political. He, he he's a true politician. Like he he, oh, he sees, he sees the current him. moving. He he sees the current moving, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. Let me, let me put on this hat and play this role. I was like, oh wow, like like he's very convincing. I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, all right, cool. Like like I respect rappers for rapping, right? I respect actors for acting. I respect politicians for being politicians. Be a politician. Do your thing, man, but do it, do it right. Yeah, but, but see, like, <laughs> you know, I think Michael Malice has this quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it because I think he refers to, to t, uh, new, like re- media, but he goes essentially something to the effect of when we refer, refer to politicians the same we refer to tobacco executives, we're in a good place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. That's good. Okay, so for the listeners, we are going to be um, bringing some clarity to some uh, key terms um, that that we want to um, that we'll be using in the future episodes coming up, and so we want to make sure that we nuance them because we won't have we won't necessarily have time to to nuance them in 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 some upcoming episodes, um, ones on um, especially the war in the Ukraine. Um, and and uh, an upcoming episode with Germinal on uh, classical liberalism in Africa, and so we're like, you know, Joel and I. Joel was kind of it crossed his mind to talk about fascism, and it crossed my mind to talk about liberalism. Yeah, and, so and like, I mean, actually, the episode that aired 
uh, I guess last week when this comes out, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a moment on that, that podcast where I, I mentioned, you know, I thought the Canadian healthcare system was socialist and the, um, American healthcare system is very much fascist, but they're both authoritarian, um, in, in regards to, uh, the government, you know, largely influencing or, or controlling how things work in those industries. And, you know, I had to, there was a bit of back and forth, um, with, with Steve regarding what I meant by that. And, and I think the reason is, you know, we've got Antifa promoting this anti-fascist thing. Um, but I would say largely they're anti a straw man of fascism because they're, and there's sort of a vagueness to the use of the word fascism, sort of how racist and Nazi gets thrown around sort of, you know, unintentional or, or non-specifically as a more derogatory term than, than actually calling out the things that we would normally associate with those words. Um, and so I think it's, imp- I've, I was thinking, you know, from that conversation as well as other conversations that, that really, what is fascism? Right? Does Antifa even qualify as anti-fascist? Uh, hopefully, when we're done with this conversation, um, you know, the listener can sort of answer that question for themselves, along with, as you said, um, what are some of the other terms that that maybe uh, will be relevant for future conversations, especially in uh, in light of Tyrant Trudeau and his recent actions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay, so let's start with fascism. H- how are you defining it, Joel? Well, actually, I have a really good uh, article uh, by Sheldon Richman that that I think the headline, if you want to call it that, or or the intro sentence, really does a good job of of summarizing it. And then I'll, I'll read a second sentence later um, that that I think does a, in in my opinion, does a really good job of describing what fascism is. So the first sentence of this uh, article. So I'm going to put uh, a link to it from econlib.org. It's also in fee.org, but oh, I like the econlib one. Um, so the first sentence is, as an economic system, fascism is socialism with a capitalist veneer. And he goes on uh, to define it in the, in the next paragraph. So where socialism sought totalitarian control of a society's economic process through direct state operation of the means of production, Fascism sought that control sought that control indirectly through domination of nominally private owners. So again, this is where I thought that the application to healthcare in Canada versus contrasting with US, both of them are authoritarian or totalitarian under the government's influence on how healthcare is run in both countries. But in Canada, it's by owning the means of providing healthcare. And in the US, it's through, I would argue, the overburden of regulation, as well as, you know, the the way that they do their health insurance now. Essentially, it's a government mandated insurance. So yeah, this is where I would say nominally private insurance companies, where the government is the one deciding you know, how that insurance company is supposed to, what type of policies are available, what is required in policies, uh, as opposed to a company saying, hey, what do our customers want? What kind of policies can we, you know, provide at a value that also makes us some money? 
So yeah, that that I think to me that is a really good definition of of fascism. And what that again, just to over summarize or overall provide a quick summary is it's the government's authoritarian or or totalitarianism in a particular area through coordination with private businesses. So similar word or similar concept is the idea of cronyism or crony capitalism, where you know capitalism and government are so or capitalist organizations, private entities and government are so embedded that essentially the government is carrying out its control or influence through uh, companies rather than uh, by owning the companies, i.e., socialism. Mm. Uh, can I can I uh, cross examine you real sure. quick? Sure, sure. Uh, is can we can we make a, a distinction between um, politics and economics? Because I think I would disagree to say with that person. And I could be wrong um, in regards to calling uh, fascism a, a, um, an economic principle versus I, I kind of see it more as a political one. Like, sh- should do you think we should make the, the distinction between politics and economics? Because like we've talked about it before, uh, politicians are not economists. Yeah, so I, I, I th- maybe, uh, maybe this clarification, agree or you don't agree. I would have said that in light with what you're saying, there the political motivations and the economic implications are are two different things mm-hmm. okay right so okay. what are the ep- economic implications of a fascist society yes uh, or fascist okay. environment okay. um versus okay the political environment that leads to fascism or or what be the what might be the political motivations behind a fascist scenario mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. use let's use the trucker convoy Trudeau is trying to be fascist when he is using the truckers, sorry, the tow truck companies to execute his means. And then instead of um, taking captive the company and saying, oh, now I own your stuff, i.e. socialism, he tries to pass a law that forces the private business to cooperate with him or face fines. Mm-hmm. Right? So the motivation being political. But what are the economic consequences? So, um, maybe I'll, I'll. What exactly were you trying to to differentiate or highlight with the economic part of it? Uh, no, no, it was. I, I think it it plays a role uh, as as we start to get into liberalism. It's it's just one of those things I um I wanted to make clear because it it can it can kind of get confusing to say that to conflate the two terms uh politics and economics because we can we, we can make a distinction about what an economy is mm-hmm. and poli- po- politics affects the economy but what politicians are doing is not economics right yeah yeah and so yeah and that, that's all i wanted to clarify uh, actually um, i did some research as well on the idea of uh fascism and i was kind of looking at it from the historical perspective um with giovanni uh gentile uh, who was an Italian Italian philosopher, educator, and uh, fascist uh, politician, and and so the definition, and that's where I'm, I'm, I was looking to pull the definition from, and he was saying that that he says that the state uh, sh- uh, should embody the people, so all aspects of society should be a part of the state. 
So uh, trade federations, unions, and other such organizations should be made into uh, state corporations. Uh, these organizations do not need to compete with the state, but rather act as part um, of it towards a common goal. And so, yeah. And so I, the pushback would be uh, not everyone will want to submit to the state. So then the result is they must be forced. And then, and then also I looked at uh, uh, Benito Mussolini uh, and, and he was, uh, he was a, pol a politician in Italy from the 1920s to the 1940s. And Mussolini's revisions uh, to what Gentile did, um, he said uh, to, about the fascist doctrine, he, he embraced the claim that violence was more important than belief and that violence was the best kind of propaganda. He claimed that violence was a superior method of the people to demonstrate their political will than elections and referendums. Right. So the word fascism, actually, I'm um, an Italian. Um, it's a word for which means bundle. Yeah. And, and uh, I was looking at the fascism definition through Britannica.com. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, and one of their com or one of the statements was sort of that, you know, fascist movements require the unity of the people. Okay. Uh, and that's where it sort of aligns with that, that bundle concept. Yeah. Yeah, um, but of course the bundle. Not everybody in the bundle is gonna want to want to be a part of the bundle. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I, I wanted to uh, throw something at the listeners and you as well, Joel, um, and something to to think about. Uh, so for the listeners, uh, you could push pause and go get uh, your your pen and pencil uh, and tell me what you guys think. What what's gonna happen next? <laughs> so. Uh, so there's this uh, a philosopher, uh, his name's Jason Stanley. Uh, Jason Stanley is an American philosopher who is uh, the Jacob Orowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale University. And he's an um, author of the book, <clears throat> uh, How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. And so I was watching a video of him, I'll put it in, in the show notes. And, and he was basically giving the 10 tactics of fascism. So, you know, you know, is you know, we study this thing in theory and you know, you're like, okay, fascism, okay, you know, I got to remember for the test next week. But what does it actually look like? Like 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 how do we know when fascism is at work? And so he gives 10 quick and these are just quick 10, I'm not going to go deep. It's just 10 key points on all these things come together to bring together fascism. So these things it isn't fascism on its own, right? It's not fascism on its own, one of these points. It's, it's, it's fascism, all of these points come together to make fascism. Mm -hmm. All right? So, so, so listen up, listeners, and, and uh, let's take some notes. All right? So, so point number one, uh, the mythic past. Um, in the past, we were great, but it has been uh, taken from us, right? So, in the, so the mythic past. In the past, we were great, but it was taken from us. Point two, propaganda. And what he says about it is that um, it's uh, a friend-enemy distinction. So uh, the other are against the nation. Point three, anti-intellectualism. So it's against diversity of thought. Uh, point four, uh, unreality. So politically, the citizens don't get to hear um, both sides of the argument. 
And so um, the people are used to lies. Mm. Point five, hierarchy. One group is better than another. Point six, victimhood. So victims of equality. So whites are victims of blacks. Men are victims of women. Men are victims of women and so forth. Uh, point seven, law and order. Uh, the leader can't violate law. law. Oh, sorry. The leader can't violate law and order because the leader um, structures it. Right? So the leader is above the law. Uh, point eight, sexual anxiety. Um, so you need a strong leader uh, to go against um, the sexual revolution and so forth. And then um, point nine, uh, he calls it Sodom and Gomorrah. And he calls it, uh, in, in what he's talking about is the urban rural divide that, um, you know, the inner city is bad and um, those on the outskirts are, 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 are the good people. Like all the bad stuff happens in, in, in the core um, of a city. And then the last one is uh, work shall make you free. So value those uh, who work and work hard and those who don't. And that kind of points to as well, like, like um, uh, degrading uh, those who aren't mentally well, right? Those who aren't able to work. So it's not necessarily those who are lazy, but also um, those who are incapable of work. Uh, yeah. So what'd you think? What'd you think of those? Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's sort of to me, it was almost be like common characteristics. If you were to look at historical scenarios mm -hmm. and, and, and he points back to like, these are some of the points from uh, Nazi Germany mm -hmm. and, and, um, Italy under Mussolini. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I would say it's not going to be a definitive list because it's all it's going to depend on the context right so if you have a leader so um i, I got a few articles or that i can put in just from you know i thought were helpful right like i've sort of been using the term authoritarian and totalitarian back and forth um but they're like i got a, a the final line here says authoritarianism is in fact totalitarianism but there are some distinct features in ha that help differentiate them and so the reason i, I bring that quote up is like the differentiation has to do with the ruler and and how that person's intending to rule, right? So it says totalitarian leaders often hide their intentions behind a certain ideology, which is supposed to be beneficial for the community, while authoritarians focus more on having power, right? And and my point is that if you're an authoritarian under an authoritarian sort of fascist approach versus a totalitarian fascist approach. Versus under a socialist, more more socialist approach, i.e., the state owns everything, uh, versus working with corporations, the fruit of that environment is going to be different, and so therefore this list may be more or less true in some contexts, depending on really what I'm saying, the nature of the leader, the tendencies towards like we've always said this before when it comes to capitalism and and sort of socialism. There's always a spectrum. And so when it comes to fascism, totalitarianism, uh, you know, authority, liberal, liberty versus authoritarianism, there's always a spectrum. And so, you know, that's where I think the list is helpful, but it's also important to recognize that um, every scenario, every, you know, context that this plays out in, the 
there's so much nuance, whether it be the people, the culture, the state, the the level of wealth the the, the country or or region had prior to this, that are all going to play a factor into you know how true or how much those those that list uh, appears or or is sort of vaguely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I wanted to also add that I I think like part of making some nuances that might be helpful for the listener as like when you think about fascism. So the the difference, because I was getting the two confused, fascism and communism. And so the difference is um, like in regards to like a political spectrum, uh, communism is more about equality and authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, fascism is more about inequality and authoritarianism. Mm. Right. And with that said, liberalism, if we can transition into that, um, is more so about more so about freedom and an, and inequality. Now it's not intentionally seeking inequality, but usually the result is inequality. But but the funny part is it embedded into liberalism is the quality of opportunity. Right, as opposed to a quality of outcome. Mm, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna get to that. Keep talking. <laughs> so, get to so that. <laughs> um, I, just to for for the listener, going back to uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, I thought they had a, a good definition of what is liberalism. The mm. liberalism is a political and economic doctrine that emphasizes individual autonomy, equality of opportunity, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. protection of individual rights, primarily to life, liberty, and pros- property. Originally against the state, and later against both the state and private economic actors including businesses okay good 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 I'm, and I, I'm, I like that definition and 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 I think I think it it pointed back to what I was saying in the start that it's a political but it's also an economic mm-hmm. concept and, and and I think it's important to make a distinction between the two uh, like I said prior so for example uh classical liberalism uh, in regards to the uh economic uh perspective and i and i want to just define that before um we get into the conversation with uh with germinal and so so the idea of classical liberalism again it's it's about free markets individual liberty and limited government so the government's role um is to uh, is to protect life liberty and property so people who are listening they're probably like okay do i agree with that or not so uh some of the points as it relates to the government's role is liberty is the primary political value individualism individual is more important than the collective skepticism about power individual is best judge of their own interests uh, principles in the rule of law civil society uh, so voluntary organizations family church charities um, six uh, spontaneous order we don't need uh we don't need someone to control the market. Uh, no government planning. Point seven. Uh, free markets. Uh, government uh, should not tell the people to do. Um, eight. Tolerance. Not forcing my opinion on things I disapprove of. Nine. Uh, peace. Not interfering in other countries' favor. On uh, other countries. Um, so the, so the favors non-interventionist foreign policy. Uh, Free free movement of capital, labor, and then the last point, um, point ten, uh, limited government 
uh, protect life, liberty, and property. Yeah, I think I think it's a good, uh, you know, going through that list, you sort of see both the political and economic sort of overlap. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, that makes sense, right? Like politics and economics have a huge overlap. That's why the running joke is, so do you know what the first rule of economics is? What? Scarcity. Right, mm-hmm. so the, essentially, it's because we have scarcity of resources, we have to economize the use of the resources. Do you know what the first rule of politics is? What? Ignore economics, because we don't deal with scarcity. We ignore the concept of scarcity. Politicians just make promises and make promises. They don't talk about, oh, here's how it's going to net effect be better. No, how can I help you, this group of people who will then vote for me? Right. Yeah. And I think like, yes, right. Of course. Yes. So in regards to the, and that's why I say make the distinction between um, the politics and the economics. Now, now as philosophies, right. I I think, I think there's pros and cons to both um, fascism and liberalism. So one of the, I would say the pros of fascism is uh, nationalism, right. In the sense that, um, you know, the unity of, of the country. I think I think that's a good thing, and and to to fight and defend yeah. your country, I, I think that's a good thing. Well, and, and I, I think, think that can get it's many fascist states require nationalism in order to have the buy-in from the people, right? But yes, but I think and, you, and the, just to put po- as a point of clarification, you can have nationalism without being fascist. Yes, right, right, and and same thing, and I think with with liberalism, um, I, I think well. I've been reading the book uh, "Why Liberalism Failed" uh, by Patrick J. Denanin. Uh, he's a he's a professor of political science and holds um, a David A. Panansi Memorial College Chair of Constitutional Studies at the University of Notre Dame. Right, and so <clears throat> by the way, it wasn't an easy book to read, man. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> it wasn't easy. Because um, the way he writes, but anyways, uh, but 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 he he was saying like the the problem that liberalism is its own worst enemy, right? So basically, he's saying liberalism failed um, because it, it in a sense it, it it ate itself alive. So for example, I'm bringing it back to the point that you made about liberalism is about equality, of and so he's saying, pardon, of opportunity, yes, and he says or that's, or, that, or in other words, it's also equality under the law. I think is the yes. related so, principle. Yeah. So the equality of opportunity is a problem. And so, so he says, okay, look, you have, it isn't one school of thought with liberalism. It's two schools of thought, right? So you have a progressive perspective and then you have um, a conservative perspective. And, and so the, um, the progressive perspective, or so I'll start with the conservative. So, so with the conservative perspective, right? It's saying, okay, look, Equality of opportunity, um, do your thing, but that creates uh, disparity, right? Um, it creates inequality because some people are stewarding their resources better than others, and there's division. Mm-hmm. And so, so the progressive liberals come in and say, okay, well, we have to create, we have to bring this back to equality of opportunity. So what it tries to do is reorient um, the market through the government to bring back equality um, 
in society, right? So, so essentially, progressives are fighting for equality of opportunity to correct the 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 the, uh, the inequality that that was created by the conservative liberals. Yeah, if I, I would just say, if I was to reword it, they're fighting the unequal outcome that was created by equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, so so yeah, so so the idea is to say, okay, look, uh, the culture that that the conservative liberals have created, right, ha- has created inequality, which which I agree with, right. And it wasn't on purpose. It's just some people do. It's do a feature, than not others. a bug. Right, right, and, and and so it's 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 what happens. And so for the progressives, they see it as okay, fine. We're going to try to fix this. And so what they're trying to do is say, okay, look, um, we're going to try to undo the culture, right? We're going to try to undo the culture that creates um, the disparity, the individualism. So, so like they're against the family and, and this thing kind of flows into aspects of the church and the family and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think that gets in, I think if what you're talking about gets into strategy as opposed to um, the core ideology, right? So the strategy to achieve their goal gets into what you discussed because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, without going too much down the rabbit hole, but the idea of um, inalienable rights is derived from the fact that we are all made Imago Dei. Mm-hmm. In the image of God, yeah, right. And so, because every everyone else is an image bearer of God, I they they have a level of rights that I need to respect. Hi, I'm Darnell Samuels. You may remember me from such podcasts as Thanks, Coach, and The Sixth Sense Report. When Joel and I are not studying for the next episode, we're paying bills for hosting and production. If you want to help us out, you can make a donation of any amount by clicking the buy me a coffee link in the show notes. If you broke, don't worry about it. You can subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast catcher. If you did this already, then you can share the show with a friend. Joel Jeezy and I appreciate your support. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, uh, let me read a section from the book for you um, to give better context. So, liberalism's second wave, which is progressivism, argued that the rampant inequality that first wave liberalism so successfully advanced was, in fact, an obstacle to realization of true selfhood. Later, liberals agreed that the first wave of liberalism had successfully undermined the old aristocratic political and economic forms but concluded that its very success had generated new pathologies that needed a reinvented liberalism. Liberalism today is widely identified as the opposite of early modern liberalism's encouragement of economic liberty and hence stratification, instead stressing the imperative for greater economic equality. Right? So the idea is mm-hmm. rather, rather it sought to extend, right? So, 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 this is progressive liberalism's rather it sought to extend the weakening of social forms and cultural traditions 
already advanced by classical liberalism, with an end to increasing political consolidation. Under classical liberalism, this end could best be achieved by limiting government's authority over individuals. For progressive liberalism, it was best achieved by empowering the state to equalize the fruits of an increasingly prosperous society while intervening more actively in the realms of church, family, and even human sexuality. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't know if we want to necessarily go down this road too far, but but really what we're talking about is you know Marxist critiques of the, or sort of the progression of Marxist critiques. Right, um, that have now taken over the progressive liberals, and the reason I say that is because, and I've probably said this on the show before, in early nineteen thirties, forties, when this you know Marxism versus free market debates were going on, the Marxists were pushing the idea that you would actually achieve economic utopia in the long run under their socialist governmental control of everything. Um, and, and it was really the Ludwig von Mises economic calculation problem that demonstrated, well, actually, no, it is the free market that needs price changes to communicate underlying information that no central planner, even with the best of computers programming, they're, they're, they aren't able to actually, um, because prices don't exist when the government's planning everything. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that uh, the relevance here is that when that was broken down, the only real major critique of the Marxist that preserved was the inequality of the system. And really that is the basis of all Marxist critiques today for the most part. Um, I would say Frances Woodowson is probably the rare exception where she's like the hardcore technical Marxist. She <laughs> may still argue uh, in line with the economic utopia position, but that's a very rare position. The common position is the arguing on basis of inequality. And the reason I said it's a feature, not a bug, is because it goes back to the concept of meritocracy. So in, econ- in, in the economic world, when you have higher merits, your business is more successful. And the business entrepreneur whose merits are very low goes bankrupt. And what that means is that the resources are used by those who produce the most. And, and the question becomes, is there a level of inequality necessary to progress? And I would argue that the progressives today don't entertain that question. They just default to inequality is bad. There's no, there's no conversation to be had that inequality might be necessary to actually have less people in poverty or the way that I always like to word it, to increase the standard of living of the lowest levels of society. So mm-hmm. if, if 10 years from now, one system has a higher level of higher standard of living for the lowest level of society, regardless of inequality, that's the system I want, right? I want to have the least amount of poor people or the poor have more things than under the other system. So the problem with the inequality argument is I have less differences between the poor and the rich. 
But if the poor are worse off, why does the smaller variance matter? Mm-hmm. So I know that's a bit of a the rabbit trail. Um, no, 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 no. I, I, no, I was definitely tra- tracking with you. I, I see what you're saying. So then, okay, so what would you want to leave the listeners with? What's your two cents? Um, I, I think it, it's important to familiarize yourself with these concepts, uh, with, with fascism, with classical liberalism. You know, today, our liberal, even our conservatives and liberals, like those words don't mean anything other than team blue and team red. Like, <laughs> you know, our, our politics have become like sport. They've, they've become, you know, cultish type followings. I, I, I stick to the ideologies. I don't actually enter. I, I ostracize the people on the other team. Right? Like it's the reason why I say it's important to understand this is because we want Republicans and Democrats, we want concert in Canada, the conservatives and the liberals to actually have principles and argue based on concepts and principles and actually, you know, in our House of Commons, actually answer questions based on concepts and principles, not platitudes and, and, you know, platforms. And so, understanding well what is fascism because when antifa's running around telling you they're anti like what what are they anti-fascist they're not actually anti-fascist they're a group of people who want to use violence against people who they think are politically wrong Mm -hmm. right like are conservatives fascist well no conservatives want to stop you know if i use the the baker the cake baking thing because in that context the government the conservatives want the government to stop telling businesses what to do which is anti-fascist, right? Mm-hmm. Like they act, but that somehow Antifa would say no, they're being fascist because they don't. The government doesn't force the business to serve everybody. Like it's 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 double speak. It's it's conflating of a term in order to confuse people in order to align with them. Again, based on ideology, not concepts or principles, and so. You know, that's where I'll put a couple links about difference between totalitarianism and authoritarianism. I got it, as I said, I got the article from Fascism by uh, Sheldon Richman. Um, I got a few, uh, it's Encyclopedia Britannica links. You'll notice the fascism one doesn't have a really good what is, like it has top questions uh, for the totalitarianism and liberal, liberalism. It does it. First question is, what is liberalism? Well, for fascism, it doesn't have that question. And, the, and one of the reasons being, it sort of says that although fascism is a notoriously difficult ideology to define, mm-hmm. and then it goes on to talk about different fascist movements, but sort of boxing in the fascist. And that's why I, I put that, the Sheldon, or I'll put the Sheldon Richmond article, because for me, I think that encapsulates it perfectly. It's how do you contrast it with socialism? How is it similar? How is it different? You know, if I was to look at Canada, you know, we talk about healthcare being socialist. Well, our farming is very fascist because we have what's called agricultural boards where they set prices and quotas. And, and so the government's telling businesses how to operate their business, how much they're allowed to produce, at what price they're allowed to sell it. Right? This is fascism when the government's a high level of control and influence. And, and they get the good, again, this article from... Sheldon Richmond does a good job of demonstrating, you know, things like uh, antitrust or minimum wage are not examples of fascism if you compare it to like multi-year plans from the Ministry of Economics that sort of like schedule out how everyone else is supposed to do their their, you know, how their business is supposed to be run, right? So 
Um, again, I think if you understand, so you know, what's my two cents or what I want to leave the listener with, it's important to understand these words because as we've said, these things play out in society on a spectrum. There's never an absolute fascist. There's never absolute totalitarianism, probably until the point of collapse when you end up with like, you know, Mao or Pol Pot or Stalin killing mass amounts of people in order to fulfill or continue their their reign. Um, and so, you know, if we were to pull back from those absolute worst case scenarios, most of these things play out in the spectrum. And so if you don't know what the word means, how are you going to know what, where you are on the spectrum? And, and I would argue you end up sort of being blown to and fro by those with uh, good sounding arguments as opposed to being able to w- critically think, hey, wait a second, they just said this, but it doesn't line up with the actual definitions of the terms they're using. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your two cents or what do you want to leave the listener with? Uh, okay, so yeah, so what I want to leave the listener with uh, for my two cents is of course I'll address the fascism and then after I'll address the the liberalism. So Historically, fascism thrives on national disenfranchisement. So I think the pandemic has brought Canadians to a turning point in our history as it relates to how we see ourselves in relation to the government. I think the prime minister has driven a wedge between Canadians in his favor, not to mention his gradual centralizing of power. Uh, Canadians need to humble themselves and ask are we above those 10 tactics of fascism? Because if it's anything I've learned in the last two years is that anything is possible. Mm. And now uh, as it relates to uh, uh, liberty uh, for for Christians, uh, we must remember liberalism flows out of the biblical teaching of Christian liberty, as we see in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, um, that true freedom is the ability to do what's right, and slavery is to be trapped in sinful behavior. So we must be aware of the limits of political liberalism, in that it idolizes the individual. Conservatives and progressives both seek government's protection for man to be liberated from God. How, you ask? Conservative liberals idolize nature, innovation, prosperity. And progressive, progressives, uh, progressive liberals idolize sinful human nature as it relates to sexuality. And I'll leave you with John 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's the bottom line. Because you gonna Donnell says so. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love that you've referenced two iconic wrestlers <laughs> from the 90s in the same episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. We started that's with right. The Rock. We finished with Stone Cold. No big deal. Right, 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 right. So. Two legends, two two true legends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so please, guys, let us know what you think um, of this episode. Was anything clear? Anything that needed to be redefined? Was it helpful? Uh, you know where to contact us. Are there are there other concepts like fascism, liberalism, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. you know other words to, to hash out and and maybe define? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because like you said before, Joel, like yeah, um, we want we want to um, use the right words and use the right terms and and be able to use the right vocabulary to articulate uh, the things we see in the world, versus like using the wrong words and and having a misconception of what we're seeing in the real world. Six cents makes change. But you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.